We Geeks Podcast starts now. Yeah, everything here at my place is just a little bit of a mess, thanks in part to all of the crazy construction going on, but... Oh, construction's the worst. Well, yeah, the construction part of it is, but the finished product is is good and as that's watched true. you know when when the when a wife is coming into the picture you, <laughs> you're obligated to take care of everything mm-hmm. so your life you know how it is but yep i guess so are we ready to go i'm ready for whatever you are let's do All this right. i'll kick it off try to wake up go for <laughs> it absolutely on this freezing cold night when iggy azalea has Quit Twitter and Niagara Falls has frozen over. It's like negative 25 or something up in Buffalo, New York. So thankfully, we're not there. But we're in the warmth of our own studios. This is episode number two of We Geeks. My name is Nathaniel Dodson, and I've got Howard Pinsky here with me. How are things out in beautiful Colorado, Howard? You know what's funny? A lot of my coworkers who are based in Los Angeles are keep asking me, "Are you freezing your butt off in Colorado?" I walked outside in a t-shirt today. It was 70 degrees. And here I'm complaining that it's kind of chilly, but you know, there's people up in Boston or all those states up there, they're negative whatever. So I can't really complain. It's beautiful up here. Yeah, no, that's good. I was colder than that in Florida today, if if my information's correct. I heard it was, that's crazy, yeah. With wind chill, it was about negative 10 Fahrenheit here outside of Philly, which Oof. is record colds. It's not normally this cold, so we're... We're living with our Minnesota brethren today, I guess. That's nuts. <laughs> Most of my family's still up in Canada, and I think the other day it was negative 40 with the windshield. Which that's, is That's cel- Celsius, right? Or is that Fahrenheit? I think at that point, it's all the same. Yeah. There's, there's a certain right. point. It's like negative 30 or something where it all equals out. Yeah, who's counting anymore I don't at know. that point? It's just, that's ridiculous. So yeah, despite the cold, we're uh, moving along with the podcast, and the first episode was great. We got... A uh, pretty good listening audience, um, and uh, we, we will continue doing this for quite some time. We should actually mention that this episode is brought to us and you by Squarespace. If you haven't checked out Squarespace, you definitely, definitely, definitely need to check them out. Until you do, you're just not going to get what the craze is about. And I know you've heard of them because if you're online, uh, you've heard about them because they're everywhere. They're advertising everywhere. They're all over YouTube. Uh, they had a Super Bowl ad for crying out loud. Um, and it's a remarkable website. I mean, Howard, you've, you've used Squarespace, so tell it me. Is. And actually, it is, and actually, if you go to the We Geeks Podcast website, that's wegeekspodcast.com, that was created using Squarespace, and honestly, it took me to set up and to get to pretty much where it is now, maybe an hour or two, which is really nothing. There's no setup required. You just enter information, and you just go to town. They have crazy templates. And if you've listened to my stuff previously, if you've watched my videos previously, you know I just don't advertise companies because they throw money at me. I once had a a company offer me $5,000 to advertise their wine, and it's... I, I turned it down because it's not something I really believe in. I drink wine, but I don't believe in their wine. Um, but Squarespace is a fantastic service. And if you guys want to jump on, you can do a free trial, completely free, no credit card required. Use the coupon code WEGEEKS. That's W-E-G-E-E-K-S, as if you needed me to spell it. And you get 10% off when you do decide to purchase, which is fancy. So thank you, Squarespace, for 
sponsoring this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And and even without a discount, it's like eight bucks a month if you buy a whole year. And included in that is a free domain name as well. Yeah. So it's incredibly inexpensive and it's such an incredibly powerful system. Uh, they really have a good thing uh, going on over there at Squarespace. So yeah, again, thanks to them for... Uh, for, uh, sponsoring the, the and before show. we get on to the the actual good stuff, I know people are going to complain that you're, you have sponsors already. And if you guys don't want us to have sponsors, here's another plug. Patreon.com slash WeGeeks. You guys can actually tip like a dollar or two dollars or ten dollars. And you can just help keep this podcast going. A lot of the podcasts are on Patreon. And it just helps fund our podcast and keep it amazing. So with that being said... Let's move on to actual good stuff. Yeah, and I, well, and really, before we get on to the good stuff, too, uh, not to string this process out anymore, but we're always looking for questions and things for the show. Um, Howard and I will be posting videos, hopefully weekly, uh, on our Facebook pages, asking you guys to submit questions and get information to us uh, that you're looking for us to talk about. So you can uh, comment, leave messages on our Facebook page or Twitter. You can hit ta- Howard at Iceflow Studios. Don't hit me, or you can, <laughs> Or you can hit me at Tutvid, that's T-U-T-V-I-D, and just hashtag your question, we geeks, and uh, we'll see the hashtag, and we'll answer whatever we can, uh, given the, the uh, our allotted time. And uh, yeah, I guess with that, a geek design and photo news of the week, I mean, first and foremost, uh, the granddaddy of them all, Photoshop, 25th anniversary, um, and Howard, before you get into talking about it or, or give us some thoughts about uh, your experience and how Photoshop's changed your life, uh, Photoshop put out a little video today. I believe it was called Dream On, if I recall correctly. I believe so, uh, yeah. It was like it's a little quite, one minute thing. It's, it's actually pretty, pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty sweet little video. You guys should definitely check it out. Uh, if you just hop over to YouTube and search like, you know, Photoshop Dream On, I'm sure it's the first thing that's going to come up. Um, but yeah, I mean, Photoshop is remarkable. I wouldn't be in the position uh, that I'm in today if it wasn't for Photoshop and, and, and bumping into it as a, an 11 or 12-year-old on my parents' computer. <laughs> uh, good old Photoshop version 4. Version um, 4. Ooh, that's... Yeah. That's, it's getting yeah, back there. That's, that's going back. I remember yeah. I was in grade 9, I believe, and I was in a computer programming class. We were learning Visual Basic, and... We had an older version of Photoshop. I believe it was 2.5. I think at the time version 4 or 5 was out, but the computers were pretty dated. And that was before Photoshop had layers. Photoshop did not have layers at one point, if you can believe it or not. Which was, it's basically you're painting on a flat canvas, which was nuts. So that was, uh, how many years ago was that? 13, 14 that I started using Photoshop? Oh, I feel old. I'm 28 so, and Photoshop is 25. Yeah, I'm, I'm old. I'm getting old. You, you started using Photoshop when you were 13 or 14, I'm assuming? Yeah, it was around 13, wow. I think. Okay. Yeah, that's it's about the same for me, but I'm, I'm a couple years younger than you. Yeah, so Photoshop, 25 years old, really cool. That is as of February 19th of 2015, that is. Uh, obviously, you're listening to this uh, in the future. But yeah, so moving on from that, just a quick side note. There's a really cool... Um, well, you know that I shot the time-lapse film of Philadelphia that I shot, um, which is still – I was just talking to a guy earlier today about it for a licensing deal. Uh, people are always you know, reaching out to me looking to use the, the film for stuff, and it was 
an incredible amount of fun to shoot um and i did all these behind the scenes videos of it and just tried to share with you know the good people here's how i did it go out and make one yourself you know what i mean it's if you're a photographer it's, it's so much fun to do and it's so interesting the process and and you see the world so differently when you're looking at a time lapse and when you shoot a time lapse and you see wow i just made this insanely cool looking uh, little bit of film it's just really cool. It's really fun. Uh, I found this um, time-lapse recently. I believe it was on Petapixel. There is a time-lapse photographer, Rob Whitworth. He's actually done a bunch of other time-lapses that I've seen before this, uh, this Dubai time-lapse that he recently did uh, came out, and they were really, really good. I believe He's got a really good one. I believe it's from Kuala Lumpur. Um, really nice. But anyway, this one's called Dubai Flow Motion, which I believe is sort of the style of time-lapse that he's saying. Uh, there's a bunch of like behind-the-scenes stuff on how he did it. Very, very in-depth, very complicated, um, and just really cool. I mean, I, I can't even really describe, I mean, how maybe you can describe it, but I, I mean, just the, the style where you're just like shooting through the frame and like dropping through floors and uh, just very wild. Yeah, you sent it to me last week after our first podcast, and I took a look at it, and I honestly can't describe it because it's something that I've never seen before. I've seen time lapses, and I've shot very amateur time lapses, and I saw yours, which was fantastic, but this is, it almost didn't seem real, even though it was real, it was shot on a camera, and I'm sure a little bit of processing was done from, from yeah, it. Yeah, there's, de there's definitely areas where you can see the, the post-production a little bit. I mean, there's specifically one shot of the Burj Khalifa when they're sort of zooming away from it, where you can definitely tell the frame is, is sort of being held in post-production as it, it's either transforming from day to night or night to day, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, but it just it's it's very surreal. I will link it in the show notes whether you're on SoundCloud or iTunes. By the way, we're finally on iTunes, so go check that out. Um follow up or wegeekspodcast.com. I'm going to put the link to this Dubai flow motion time lapse thing that's completely surreal and check it out. Let us know what you think cuz it's nothing that I've seen before. Yeah, it's definitely unique. It's it's quite uh, quite interesting. There's one, or there's a couple scenes. There's one where the camera sort of turns and shoots down an elevator shaft. Um, I'm assuming that that's digital CGI, but I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of CGI. Maybe it's a little bit of uh, of in camera work. It it is pretty interesting though if you can see some of the behind the scenes stuff, um, how they got some of the shots they got where they're combining like rolling carts and drones and things to sort of make the camera shoot along the ground and take off and just I don't know really really uh, interesting techniques and <laughs> the vision to shoot the thing uh, to shoot the film is is crazy but it's definitely pretty cool. Yeah, definitely go check that out. And I wish I was I wish I can go to Dubai. I've never actually been there. Um, I've been to a few other places on that side of the world, but you know, maybe someday I'll go there and see all these ma magical buildings and stuff. Yeah, well, you, I don't think you can drink alcohol there, so you have to leave your wine at home. So Ugh. the sponsors, the sponsors wouldn't be happy about that. No, I actually going. almost booked a trip to Dubai, uh, maybe like six months ago, with a buddy of mine. It's like eighteen hundred dollars for eighteen hundred bucks for a ticket, um, and you know, a fourteen and a half or fifteen hour plane ride from Philadelphia. You sort of fly from here to like. A Glasgow, Scotland, or a London Heathrow Airport, mm. one of the one of those places, and then you then shoot down to uh, uh, UAB or wait, UAE, I guess United Arab Emirates, uh, and fly into Dubai. But yeah, no, definitely a super super cool city. Um, 
and just try to ignore the way it was constructed and all the controversy behind whatever slavery stuff happened. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. Well, but, too bad we can't drive there because actually in 2020, the rumor is that Apple is releasing or actually going to start manufacturing a car. This is this is very strange information that's all kind of unraveling over the last few weeks that Apple is potentially going to build an electric car to take on Tesla, which is, it's very different from what Apple's been doing in the past, but it's something that I think they could potentially pull off considering they have almost $200 billion in the bank. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's hard to sort of hedge a bet against Apple. You know, I mean, they they took the iPad when I, I, I remember I remember distinctly thinking when the iPad came out, ooh, Apple, you know, this mm-hmm. doesn't look like a very good move. I, I, I don't even remember. I remembered some manufacturers had tried to come out with tablets before that. And I exactly, I can't even remember the names of them. You know, I don't even remember the manufacturers, but they were total duds. Um, it was nothing. And Apple did the iPad and now Samsung has successful tablets as well. Is that because Samsung creates great tablets? I don't think so. Samsung does create great tablets, but I think Apple opened up that new marketplace and made people feel like, hey, I need a tablet. I have a use for a tablet. Or even if I don't really need a tablet, I can find ways to use a tablet. Um, It sort of is a chic piece of tech or whatever. So it's hard to bet against Apple. Uh, If they're going to take on Tesla, where's Tesla going to be in another five years? You know, Oh, they're going to be well beyond what they are now. I think Tesla has such a... Uh, a, such a huge leverage on the industry now that in five or 10 years from now, their cars will be so much cheaper than I, I have to assume Apple's cars are not going to be very cheap. But I mean, I, I hope I'm wrong, but Apple's, I, I'm a huge fanboy. I remember I was working for Apple when the iPad came out originally. And I, I would, just like you, I said, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm not feeling this thing. It just seems like a big iPod. And then I actually got my hands on one And then I thought, okay, this is kind of cool. But over the last few years, Apple's kind of falling behind, not just with their phones, but also with the Apple Watch that's coming out. And I guess we can put this car into this thing, but there's been a lot of smart watches over the last few years. And now Apple's finally getting to one, but it just doesn't seem like they're innovating anymore. But hopefully with this car, if they are in fact building a car, Hopefully it'll have something that Tesla doesn't have or Google or GM or whoever else has an electric car. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're going to need something substantial. I I don't know if you've seen it, but there was, uh, I think it was Tesla. I know it was a Tesla car, but somebody put out a video of the Tesla car with its automatic driving feature where it's, it's programmed to be a certain number of car lengths away from the car in front of you. And you can adjust that and the car speeds up or slows down. And they're talking by, I think it's the end of this year, the end of 2015 or something, having automatic steering as well. Mm -hmm. So you can have sort of your autopilot acceleration and braking as well as autopilot steering where it's just, I I mean, the thing will pull up to a red light, detects a red light, boom, stops, detects the green light and goes. Um, so really, really cool stuff. I mean, if, if you like driving, it sucks because it's sort of like, I want a stick shift car. I don't want to feel like I'm driving for crying out loud. Do you know what I mean? Um, 
so for for people like that, it's going to be why would I want this thing at all? Um, but certainly, I'm sure it's they just, would have an option to switch over to a manual. I guess you can call it a manual mode now, which j- just means you can drive it yourself. But I think all of this started when someone spotted it looked like a minivan with a bunch of sensors all around it, and they were able to trace it back to Apple. So someone got the idea that Apple might be working on car technology, and then people started digging deeper and deeper and deeper, and then we realized that people from Tesla are now working at Apple, and someone from the head research guy at Mercedes-Benz is now working for them, and the whole thing has just blown up over the last two weeks. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, and you've got a Mini Cooper, and the Apple sort of looks like a a pill-shaped Mini Cooper, right? (laughs) (laughs) It kind of does. Yeah, so yeah, the Apple car, it, it looks interesting. Uh, there was a funny little piece that the onion did on it, which just sort of had a bunch of like very cliche Apple, you know, sticker price is 85 grand, but drops to 199 with a two year Verizon contract, stuff <laughs> like that. Ha 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 ha. Um, but yeah, should be interesting to see what Apple can do with the car, uh, break into the car market. And like you said before, I mean, they're going to have to do something remarkable to really, really break into it and really make a lasting, uh, hey, Apple's here to to really make a change. They really haven't had that one more thing that sort of went out the door they with Steve yeah. Jobs, right? Yeah. I mean, it's all been the same as, you know, the smart, again, the smartwatch is something that's been out for a while. They just, it's their take on the smartwatch. I, I, yeah. I hope Apple changes something. And the rumor is 2020. They're going to start manufacturing this thing. That's five years from now. A lot is going to change in five years. So hopefully something magical happens by then. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things that could change is just Apple's clout, right? I mean, a lot of Apple's power was in this mystique that, that that surrounded them that if Apple puts it out, it's going to be popular. It's going to be the thing that everybody wants. It's going to be what I want. Uh, it's going to be good. I feel like the longer Apple goes, people have such a short-term memory nowadays that the longer Apple goes without giving the consumers that wow kind of one more thing, um, the more difficult it's going to be for them to sell these more radical things. And an Apple car is going to be more than likely a radical thing. So um, I think Apple has a long way to go as far as building... um, smaller products and things like that they're going to sort of build up their clout in the technological community to make sure that it still holds and it is where it is and uh, you know you wouldn't want the macbook pro to become the next you know dell inspire on or whatever you know where it's just sort of like oh every businessman's got one of those so i'm not cool if i have one you know if apple loses the coolness they're going to lose out on the car market as well tesla at least is going for almost what looks like a more luxury and you know you sort of see these rich businessmen types driving these teslas um of course due in large parts of the price so it'll just be interesting to see how apple handles that if the car comes into production and uh if they end up uh, making a run at it it'll it'll be interesting to see how they do that that's true it may not even see the light of day apple's worked on a lot of projects that we don't even know about or we have heard about and you know the television for example apparently apple is working on a television that never saw the light of light of day because i'm sure somebody finally realized oh this is probably a stupid idea so you know who knows what'll happen in 5 years right gotcha 
Yeah, so I mean that's Apple Apple Car. So that's what that is. Uh, the next thing we have here is there was an article that surfaced. I, I honestly I can't remember how long ago it was, and I don't have it here in my notes. But um, there was an article that a, a designer from a company wrote, um, essentially talking about the service that allows you to get a logo designed for $5. Now, I know, Howard, I mentioned this to you before when we were going over uh, show pre-production stuff. Um, this site I, it called Fiverr, I believe mm -hmm. is what it's called. Yep. Um, and it, it essentially works if you're not familiar with it, and I wasn't until you know two weeks ago. Um, the site sort of works like you go to it and you you basically tell them, hey, this is my company, blah, 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 blah. And you pay five bucks to have a designer create a logo for you. If you want multiple logos, then you go five, 10, 15, 20, 25 dollars and so on and so forth. Uh, so essentially this guy wrote this article about this site, Fiverr. Uh, he set up this fake startup called SkyStats or something like that uh, where he said, hey, look, it's just a little startup, two people running it. We're in Boston. We're in Tokyo. Um, and we gather all this travel information from sites like, you know, Kayak or Priceline or whatever. Um, and we need a logo. So he hired three designers, paid 15 bucks, right? $5 a designer. Didn't pay for any of the upsells. You can like pay an additional, uh, 15 or $20 or something to get the PSD or the .ai file. Uh, you can pay an additional 20 bucks to have like a rush put on it and get it, you know, one day or two days or something later. Uh, a little tips and just all kinds of little junk like that that you can pay for. So anyway, it took like eight to 14 days for this guy to receive all of his logo options. Uh, he liked some of them. Some of them weren't uh, anything to write home about. Um, but the more he sort of looked into it, and actually he wrote an article about the service uh, before he realized this, but he wrote this article and got you know, 100, 150 comments on his blog post, and a bunch of people started pointing out, hey, some of these logos you got are just the artwork is straight up copied from you know this or that stock photo site you know Dreams Time or iStock Photo or wherever it was. Um, so he didn't realize that, and it turned out at least three of the six options that he had gotten from these three different designers um, were just copied. It was just the the stock photo or the stock artwork was taken, and they took and put his company logo or company name, excuse me, into this artwork. Um, and so he wrote this. Uh, article. He tried reaching out to Fiverr, the company offering these logos and these designers, and they never responded, of course. Um, and it's just an interesting idea. I mean, they're running ads like, you know, why pay $100 for a logo when you can get one for five bucks? As if paying $100 for a logo is a lot. $100 yeah, really. for a logo. I mean, $100 for a logo, I would think, could be a business model. Um, I mean, <laughs> what, are, what are your thoughts on this, Howard? I mean, have you looked into it? Have you? I have. I have actually used Fiverr, not for logo design, but actually for an SEO audit way back in the day when I was just starting my business and trying to figure out better SEO practices. And Fiverr does offer a whole slew of services from people offering design or SEO or uh, copy editing, voiceover work. But like you said, the concept of the website is to get something for $5. Now, as the old saying goes, and I don't have to remind you about this, you get what you pay for. If you pay $5 for something, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a logo, a voiceover, or a cheeseburger, actually, maybe not a cheeseburger, but you know what I mean. If you pay $5 for something that usually you would pay $500 for, you're going to get crap. And 
like you mentioned, a lot of these designs are copyrighted material. It's basically templates. That's why these people can offer you something for $5 because they have all this stuff templated. They go into Photoshop, they change a line of text, they send you the document. Maybe they change a color or two if you pay a few dollars more. But there's a very good chance you're gonna get something that another person has, maybe the name will be different, or you're gonna get something that doesn't even belong to that person. And actually someone I follow on Twitter had this issue where her work was basically copied and was being sold on a website like Fiverr. Uh-oh. Yeah, and she basically couldn't do anything about it. So people are ripping off other people's work, reselling it for five bucks, and you know, rip, basically ripping people off. Yeah, I mean, it's really. I mean, you can talk about the ripping off, and I, I mean, if you if you think that you're making a great living as a designer who's charging five bucks for a logo, I, I mean, as a as a small business owner yourself, you've already failed because you failed to grasp the idea of basic economics. But it, can we please stop trying to save a buck on something as important as your logo, your brand, the the style of your company? I mean, the importance of, of a strong logo, of a logo that presents it presents your company uh, aesthetically as something that people want to buy into, as, as something that people want to associate themselves with, as something that people want to spend money in. Um, Stop trying to save money on that. Hire somebody that's good. And I'm not saying this because I'm a logo designer. I hate designing logos. I hate designing logos. I don't think I'm that good at it. I have other people design logos for me. But, you know, it's important to get things like a graphic style sheet. You know, what size margin are you going to have on your letterhead and your envelopes and every document that you ever write? What colors are used throughout your website and every printed document you ever have? What fonts are used throughout all of that stuff? I, I think it's important to note a company like uh, Coca-Cola, a Pepsi, uh, Instagram, Facebook, I mean, we can pull internet companies, eBay, they're not spending five bucks on their logo. <laughs> they're not spending five bucks on branding. They understand the importance of branding and how vital it is to your company. Obviously, you still have to deliver. A great logo with no substance uh, is nothing. But stop trying to save money on something where you should be spending money um you know because your logo is everything i mean if mcdonald's didn't have a logo that you know sort of invited you in uh who knows where mcdonald's would be um and it, the presentation factor when you're going and taking your startup and presenting it to uh, a, a board of investors to get that investment, having all of your, your stuff together, having your stuff pulled together and looking professional, you really, really want that. I mean you need charisma and personality and everything that you bring obviously as the business owner as well. But to have an understanding of this is how this stuff works. This is my brand. This is my company. These are our colors. Everything is the same across the board. I mean, when you walk in with a, with a, a blue t-shirt with your white logo on it and you, you deliver a presentation with a white background and the logo is yellow and then you hand out business cards that are blue with a black logo on it, you're the Lisa Frank of startups. Everything's a different color and it's it looks like a five-year-old designed it. Yeah, and if you're very serious about running a business or whatever you might be, whatever you need a logo for, 
yeah, you may save a lot of money paying $5 for a logo on Fiverr, but there's a very good chance, and I'm sure this has happened, I haven't heard any stories of this because I don't care, but I'm sure it's happened where you're going to be spending a lot of money trying to defend yourself from someone who com- who's coming after you saying, uh, that's my logo or that's my uh, trademark that you're using in your logo, and you have to try and say, oh, well, I bought it for $5 at Fiverr, and all of a sudden you're out of a logo and you're out of a company. So, you know, I mentioned this last week, and I promise I'm not getting paid to say this, but there's a website. If you really don't have a lot of money to spend on a professional designer, 99designs.com, you can create a listing. And again, it sounds like an advertisement. It's not. I'm not getting paid for it. You can basically say, I run X company. I want a logo with these colors, and a whole ton of designers will basically be competing, actual designers for your logo and you can pick exactly which logo you want the one that fits your brand and your you should offer you know a hundred or two hundred dollars whatever you can afford but these people are actual designers who are trying to build up their portfolio and who do have credibility in the industry yeah and and i mean by no means am i saying you have to go out and drop five thousand dollars or even five hundred dollars on a logo design if you have the money great get an amazing designer Front-end design is incredibly important. Just look at Apple. They've built what they've built on beauty. Beauty sells. Beauty will will boost your business. Um, but to your point about 99 designs, squarespace.com slash logo. Oh, there you go. Yes, right? Squarespace. I mean, Squarespace <laughs> has a logo designer as well. Um, and with, with Squarespace's built-in freaking logo designer, you will get a better logo than this Fiverr nonsense. Can we stop thinking that we can get a $5 logo that's going to be acceptable? I mean, I understand yeah. you're thinking it's a $5 investment, but you know, walk into your bathroom, pull a $5 bill out of your, out of your wallet and flush it down the toilet <laughs> before you go through this Fiverr nonsense. Because like Howard, like you said, you're going to spend a lot more money defending yourself in court or filing for a trademark or, co- trademark or copyright or whatever you're going to do that's just going to get rejected or that's going to get accepted. And you're later on going to have to change it because you realize you screwed it up and it's it's not something you could have done that with in the first place. Uh, and, and the stress associated with it, it's far less stressful to take $5 and flush it down the toilet and then go over to squarespace.com slash logo and just design a logo, boom, like that and be done with it. That's just my two cents though. Oh, totally. And th- by the way, th- that we are getting paid for. Um, but we, but it is a fan. I have used Squarespace. I completely forgot about Squarespace logo. Yeah, it's a cool um, little it is app. Quite, quite cool. But um, you know, a lot of people are probably at this point saying, "Oh, another sponsorship. Why are you doing sponsorship?" Blah, blah, blah. Which actually leads us into our next story about a, a policy change that YouTube is making to their sponsorship policy, or whatever you want to call it. They're no longer allowing a YouTube creator to place a company logo on top of their video if they're getting paid for that video. So let's say, for example, Squarespace, Squarespace, I've had too much wine. (laughs) Let's say Squarespace has approached me and offered me a sponsorship deal, which they do, thank you Squarespace. I am no longer allowed anymore to place Squarespace's logo on top of the video. Now is that, that, is that like as an intro slide or are we talking about a watermark over the video the entire time it's playing do you know 
it's I base I believe it's both. So if I'm speaking about Squarespace, thanking them for their support or whatever, I cannot put their logo on top of the video while I'm speaking about it because this is the reason. Google has obviously Google has AdWords. They want Squarespace or any other company to go directly to Google. And apparently Google is building out a new type of annotation, which is basically like an advertising annotation. So Squarespace can go to Google and say, we want to advertise on Howard Pinsky's video. We will give you X amount of dollars for you to place that annotation over top of the video so that his viewers know that Squarespace is advertising. Because what's happening now is companies are going to a network like Fullscreen or Maker Studios or Big Frame and saying, and we're going to pay your creators directly, avoiding YouTube and Google. So there's no split involved. So creators and the networks and everyone's getting a better deal except Google. So Google's kind of cracking down on this, which is frustrating a lot of people now because there's a lot of questions that come up because of this. Is that a retroactive policy change? So all my videos in the past that have mentioned my sponsors, do I have to remove those videos because they have a logo? These are answers we don't know yet. But it does bring up the question from people who are not necessarily familiar with sponsors on YouTube. Why are people doing this? Why are we mentioning Squarespace in our podcast? Why do I mention companies in my YouTube videos? And the short answer is because we need to pay our bills because we're not using Fiverr to get $5 logos. Um, it's, it's a strange concept, but I actually wrote an article on my blog, howardpinsky.com, which is actually hosted by Squarespace, um, that YouTube can be a living these days. And a lot of people don't understand that. And one of the analogies, analogies? One of the analogies that I mentioned in that blog post is the concept of being an author way back in the day. Back in the day, I sound like such an old man, but this is way before I was even born. Mm -hmm. People were criticized for writing books. They, people thought it was crazy that you're just wasting your time writing books. And then people started selling these novels or books or whatever they might call them. People thought they were even crazier. Witchcraft. It, it totally is. And, but over time, it started become, becoming acceptable because people started enjoying these novels. And we're at a point where YouTube content creation is at that same place. It's just a very different model. So someone like me, several years ago, I was making a very good living just on my YouTube content. YouTube content. I was doing nothing else with my life. I was uploading Photoshop tutorials to YouTube, and I was making thousands of dollars per month, which sounds crazy, but that's just the way things are going. But And nowadays, companies are noticing this. So they're starting to pay people like myself or like you or some of the bigger YouTubers to get their brand out to the world. And a lot of people still don't realize that this is a job. And something like this podcast, even though it's an hour-long podcast and you know we turn on the mic and we start talking, there's a lot of pre-production, there's a lot of post-production it's probably you know five or seven hours of work that goes into just this one hour podcast. And going back to videos for a second, even though some of my Photoshop tutorials are five minutes long, you may think, okay, well, he turned on his recording software, recorded for five minutes, and boom, you have a Photoshop tutorial. But right, many right of up those to YouTube. Oh, totally. Just it's it's done. That's it. But many of those tutorials actually took me a whole week to produce. So these things do take time. And I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't want to do it for free. I, I have better things to do. So, you know, 
it's it's crazy to think, but I would like to get paid for the work that I do. Yeah, I mean, I like to create tutorials. I like to do the podcast, but I need to eat. Exactly. Right? I mean, isn't that kind of the essence? I mean, I will never apologize for taking a sponsor, um, ever. I don't think I ever would. Um, I don't think it's an inherently bad thing to do. I don't, this idea of being a sellout, sure, I will, I'll, I'll accept that moniker gratefully um, because, um, sure, money doesn't make you happy, um, but it's easier than not having it. Yep, um, and I know it's an extreme example, but you know, Game of Thrones—they have television commercials. Why? Why did? Why are there commercials in between different segments of Game of Thrones? Because they need to pay their actors, they need to pay their their crew, they need to pay people. It this stuff does doesn't happen for free. And again, it's an extreme example. My stuff doesn't take as long as it does to make an episode of Game of Thrones, but it does take time. And a lot of YouTubers. You know, I, I know a lot of YouTubers who are making a heck of a living off of YouTube, and they are some of the hardest working people I've ever met. Some of them work, you know, 13, 14 hour days, seven days a week, every single day. And it may seem when you're watching a video that they're just turning on the camera, talking in front of the camera, turning off the camera, and uploading it. But there's so much more that goes into yeah. this that people yeah. are not realizing. There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of hustling. I mean, it just to, and not to get too far off the topic, I want to circle back around to this YouTube sponsorship thing in just a second. But just to give you an idea, uh, to give you guys an idea of sort of an anatomy, at least of the, just a slice of my Tutvid stuff. Um, not only is there pre-production for the tutorials, which involves coming up with an idea for a tutorial, researching it, making sure that I, I know how to do it, but it's different to know how to do it and then to know how to explain to somebody else how to do it, right? Yep. And then being able to go through and record it, do the takes necessary to do it. Make sure you have material to perform the tutorial upon, right? If you're doing a tutorial on smoothing skin, you need some sort of photo to do that with. If it's something I've shot already, great. If I need to go buy a stock photo, I need to do that. Uh, it, maybe it's something where I want to set up a photo shoot and shoot a series of photos for something. So there's all of that that goes into it. Then I have to record it. And once I record it, then I have to do what's called sourcing the clips where I go through and I sort of note what is in each clip so I know what I'm editing together where I can cut out my mistakes and patch things back together. All of that, of course, is tied up in your post-production. If there's any kind of color grading that I'm doing to the video, that happens then. If there's any kind of sound engineering that happens as far as adding intro-outro music, as far as um, up, upping bass or treble levels, fixing equalizer uh, type levels on the, the audio track. Um, that all happens then. Then you end up exporting the video, and at that point, you then upload it to YouTube, but you have to come up with a title. You have to create a thumbnail for it. I have to create a thumbnail for my website blog post. I have to write the website blog post. Then I have to write the description for the YouTube video. Then once I do that, I have to share it on social media. Sometimes I'll create another video to promote it on social media. You create other images to promote the stuff on social media. And then you, sometimes you'll even then look into and see how to advertise the video if you're going to pay for either Google AdWords or Facebook ads to promote the video that you just created. So there's all of that that's tied up in it. Um, and it's, it's just, it, yeah, it takes a lot of time. If, even just shooting a simple, um, you know, I'm going to flip my camera on here, not even for screen recording, but let's say it's something where I'm mixing screen, screen recording and off screen stuff. 
you know, setting up the lights and the camera and everything I need to do here in my place, you know, it's 30 minutes set up, 30 minutes breakdown, right? So just, just in the setup and breakdown, boom, that's an hour of, uh, of the work day that I'm going to be doing. So it's just, it is, it's just a lot of time. Now I love doing it. I'm not complaining. I wouldn't change a thing. I lo- absolutely love doing it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a job. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's what I do and, and hopefully it brings enough value that enough people watch it and sponsors say, hey, we're going to give you money, promote our stuff. And I'll say, yeah, it's good stuff. I'll promote it. I, of course, I'm not going to go and promote stuff that I think is crap, uh, a la your wine reference earlier where it's just kind of like, I don't know if a bunch of 18-year-olds watching Photoshop tutorials are going to be interested in a, a good Merlot. Yeah, I, I get honestly, I get sponsorship deals all the time. And other than a few select sponsors like Squarespace, I turn down a lot of money because it just doesn't fit my brand. But one last point on this, you, you mentioned something very interesting. You mentioned I, you didn't mention we, you didn't mention my team. You mentioned I, we are one man team. I do all of my editing, all of my scripting, all of my shooting. And I believe you do all the same stuff. Yep. We are we don't have teams of people working on this stuff. So yeah, if we had seven people, it might take half an hour or 40 minutes to get all this stuff done, but it's just me. It's just you. So, you know, I can, I can argue about this and rant about this till I'm blue in the face. And some people still won't accept the fact that people on YouTube do make a living from YouTube videos. But you know, anyway, the point of this was that YouTube is changing things so that you have to go through Google now in order to get, or at least in order to overlay a sponsor's uh, logo on your video. Apparently, you can still put their text, their company name in text, but not their logo. It's, it's a very strange policy yeah, I was change. Say it sounds very, very bizarre. Yeah, uh, and there's a lot of questions. Yeah, I mean, especially if it's a matter of talking about the company. I don't understand how, you know, I guess, I mean, just that, you know, being able to see somebody's brand, I guess, but if it's a text annotation, how is that going to bring the logo in? Or is it going to be a full blown ad or maybe something where they integrate the banner ads on video? I don't know. It sounds, it definitely sounds weird. I guess just a money grab for Google. Yeah. So that's that. So now we're going to go into question and answer. And again, you can hit us up. I am at Iceflow Studios. Nathaniel is at Tutfid. And make sure to use the hashtag WeGeeks. If you do have questions, we will be answering questions at the end of every single show. And the first question is from, I can't, I'm not, my glasses aren't on, so I can't read this. But Jackson from Brisbane. I believe that's in Australia. Brisbane. Brisbane. I think Brisbane is how they say it, but is that in Australia? Yeah, I hope Australia. So. Or yeah. I'm gonna get a lot of flack for that. <laughs> um, great show, guys. As I try to get more in touch with my social media following and grow it, now I believe. Uh, okay, I definitely can't read this. My glasses aren't on. <laughs> um, grow it. I now believe I need a management system to keep track of everything. What do you? What do you use? And what would you recommend? I'm gonna quickly take this because I am. I'm a terrible, terrible business person. I don't use any social management tools. I do all of my, all my tweets are manually written, manually posted. Nothing is scheduled other than like one or two sponsored tweets at some point in the past. But I, I have a lot of friends who use Hootsuite and things like that, but I use absolutely nothing. Hopefully you have a better answer than I do. Yeah, I mean, I for the longest time, I Facebook, 
uh, and YouTube. I just manage them through the web UI. That is just facebook.com. Go there and post when I need to post and don't post when I'm not posting. Twitter, for years, I've used TweetDeck, uh, and I love it. I mean, I love it a lot. It's a great app. Um, but about two or three months ago, I did switch over to Hootsuite, and it's pretty awesome. It's it's very inexpensive. It's it's incredible as far as being able to schedule stuff across multiple platforms and, you know, set images that go up on Facebook. You know, when you when you create a link, a lot of times you think like, oh, man, I, I want to be able to pick a specific image from that article that I'm posting. You can do all that through Hootsuite. Um, so that's really great to have that control. Um, and, and, you know, your Facebook feed will come right through into Hootsuite. And you can see any kind of liking and commenting activity that's going on and interact with it. You can bring Instagram right through it, all of that stuff. So it's really phenomenal and powerful when it comes to that. If you don't, however, want to pay for Hootsuite, the next best sort of management or scheduling tool, I would say scheduling tool because that's one of my favorite things about some of the social media stuff because I'm always moving around and always doing stuff and, and I'm almost never at my computer the same time every single day. Um, Buffer app. It's called Buffer app. Definitely check it out. They have a Google Chrome plugin. Uh, you can basically, if you're on a web page and you think, man, I want to share this with my people, but it's two o'clock in the morning. I want to share it tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. when people are, you know, getting ready to wind down for lunch break or maybe 11 a.m. Whatever. Um, you can click a button and schedule it in your buffer, and you can send it out to whatever social media platforms you want. And I believe, believe, believe it is completely free. Buffer app, you got to check it out. I'm actually checking out Hootsuite now because I've had heard, I've had heard of it, and I do have friends who use it. There is a free. Uh, Package. That's that right. It's it's like a, yeah, like you can manage three social media networks. I think. Yes, you yes. get basic analytics, three social profiles, basic scheduling, two RSS connections, app integrations, and a URL shortener. So that's not too bad if you're if you just want something for free to manage a few of your social accounts. Yeah, and a quick tip um, for URL shorteners: not only are they great for tweeting, but when you use something like Bit.ly. Um, or Hootsuite's URL shortener, one of the things you're signing up for is you get analytics on those links. So like bit.ly, I don't remember what it is. Like bit, If you take like any bit.ly and put a question mark on the end, I think you can see the analytics of that link, even if it's not your link. And that means how many people clicked on the link um, and things like that. It's really kind of cool. Um, so, I, so I did potential, uh, possibly lie. I do use bit, bit.ly bit.ly. I actually have a custom ice flow. It's like icf.lo or something. I don't know. Okay. Um, and I have that link to my bit.ly account. So I do have much shorter URLs, but like you did say, um, they do have analytics. So if I'm sharing a certain post on Facebook or a certain post on Twitter, I can share that post on both networks with two different URLs or short URLs. And I can see which one is performing better and I can track all this stuff. So it is kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Hang on one second. I'm just running a Google search. I want to find the uh, what I add to the end of bit.ly in order to see the stats. Oh, you put a plus sign at the end of any bit, uh, any bit link, and yeah, this whole page 
shows up that gives you like graphs and all kinds of crazy stuff. So that's pretty cool. But uh, whatever Hootsuite has like owl.ly, it's like owly or something um, is their short URL. But yeah, so despite or, or excuse me, not only is it a shortened URL, but also you get all the analytics that come with the with the link as well. So you're not just sending a tweet out there and waiting for favorites or retweets. You can actually see, hey, is anybody even clicking on this link, even if they're not seeing fit to favorite it or retweet it. So. Yep, that's what I would say as far as managing social media. So next question here is Marco from Twitter. Uh, with everything so open and accessible online, what are both of your thoughts on services like Facebook and their security, I guess security policy really? Are you comfortable sharing online when it seems like so many people or companies are getting hacked? Um, yeah, I look at it this way. Anything digital, no matter how secure you want to make it, even anything physical, really. If you have an army, it doesn't matter how much physical security you have. Uh, you can just break in and take stuff. Um, and the same goes for digital. No matter how locked down you try to make something, people can hack you. People can get in and take your stuff. So what do I do? Uh, well, number one, my Facebook page is completely open. Uh, I, I don't try to hide anything on my Facebook page. And my personal policy to myself is if I'm not willing for the world to see it, don't post it on Facebook, plain and simple. It begins there, it ends there. Um, I don't really like using online banking. I refuse to download any online banking apps to my phone just because I'm slightly paranoid about you know less security. Whether or not that's justified or not, I don't know. Um, I don't know enough about all of those secure socket connections, secure whatever connections that all that stuff is using. But I'm just, just generally I don't have a good safe feeling about it. Um, and when it comes to credit card, I've had bank accounts hacked and had, you know, thousands of dollars taken out of different accounts. Uh, and the way I combat that is just multiple bank accounts. Um, and you know, if you're going to use your, and the only reason I say that is because when you use your card online, anytime you use your card online, you are inherently susceptible to uh, it being hacked. Or, I mean, like, wasn't it Target that was it a year ago, two years ago, mm -hmm. even, even in the physical store, people were having their numbers lifted. Um, and even in like little mom and pop shops, you hear about those little scams where they double swipe your card, you know, swipe it on the, the card machine and turn it to like a, a card machine that reads the information on the card and saves it. So like a quick I had swipe. that happened to me actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was back in uh, when I was working for Apple. Um, I was in Florida, and there was a little uh, kiosk where we always used to buy our Red Bulls and stuff. And there was one time I went over there. I gave him my card, like I always do. He swiped it, and then I saw him take my card, put it underneath his the the table or the whatever it was on, and I heard a beep. And then he just handed my card back like nothing happened. And then wouldn't you believe a few days later, I had a few hundred dollars missing from my account. So I guess my answer, am I comfortable sharing online when it seems like so many companies are being hacked? I, I think I'm comfortable sharing online because like you said, I'm not going to put anything out there that I really wouldn't want the world to see. I do have my personal Facebook account a little bit locked down just for friends only so I can rant about things like my neighbors or my apartment building that I used to live in or whatever it might be. But again, if these sort of things get leaked somehow, I really don't care. It's not going to change my life or anything. I'm not sending pictures that I shouldn't be sending or anything like that. Um, I do use online banking. Surprisingly, I haven't had my online banking account hacked or anything like that, but I have had my card swiped several times 
And that's, you know, that's nothing to do with being online or being hacked or anything like that. That's just very old school ways of getting my credit card information. So, you know, it's very frustrating seeing Home Depot and Target and all these different companies being hacked and very little being done about it. In Canada and the UK, they have this chip and pin thing, which is so much more secure than regular credit cards that are preventing all these hacks and swipes and things like that from happening. And we're finally starting to see that come to the US very, very slowly. I think I only have, I don't have my wallet here, but I think only one of my credit cards, and I have like eight of them for business and personal, only one of them has that pin it, uh, that chip in it that supposedly and, and is adds that, a layer. Is that the one that you just sort of wave the card in front of the, or is this something um, else? I think you about? slide it into this additional slot on the credit card machine, and then you have to put in a pin number, kind of like a debit card, but it's a little bit different, I think. Gotcha. I've never used it, but I've only heard about it. Um, but, you know, of course, we're also seeing things like Apple Pay come into play, which is very promising. Of course, it's nowhere near where it could be. Uh, companies are not rolling it out. Apple's not rolling it out fast enough. People are not adopting to it. Of course, it's only restri- or it's only limited to the Apple ecosystem right now, which is a little bit annoying. But that does add a huge layer of protection, which I think we'll start to see from other companies like Google and Samsung over the next few years. And what's nice about that is when you pay for something using Apple Pay, which I absolutely love, you're not giving anybody your credit card information. Apple has it somewhere encrypted on the device, but you're you're basically giving that company a temporary credit card number. So if they do get hacked, they have a temporary number, which is completely disabled by then. So hopefully over the next few years, things will tighten up a little bit, but it seems at this moment in time, it's only getting worse. But, you know, it is what it is, and we just have to deal with it until they figure out something better. Yeah, so until then, use cash. Yeah, really. Uh, The next question is, if I can see this properly, Sarah from Seattle, I want to buy my first tablet for Photoshop. Should I get a Bamboo, a Cintiq, or a standard Intuos tablet? Should I get a Wacom, or can you recommend another brand? Uh, Well, I really don't know of any other brand other than Wacom. I've used Wacom forever. I've had, oh boy, how many do I have? Wacom has been gracious enough to send me a few of them. Right now I have the 24-inch Cintiq, which they did not send me. I did pay for that. Um, that's the one with the screen on it that connects to – it's basically like a monitor that you can draw on. Um, I've used the Intuos. I've had a few of those. Bamboo before – do they – I don't think they make the Bamboo anymore. I think they're all Intuos. Um, I would recommend that. You can – and from there it all depends on what size you want. I think they have the Intuos and the Intuos Pro now. Mm-hmm. Um and they have small and medium, large, extra large, and they have the Cintiqs. But if you're just looking for a basic tablet to get you started, even the very basic Intuos tablet has like 2,400 or 2,000 levels of sen- – I should have probably researched this before I answered this. But it has a lot of levels of sensitivity, uh, and you can go to town with so many different brushes. Um, I would start with that. And whether it's whether you get small or medium, that's really a personal preference. I had the small. I didn't really like it. I found it too small. So I did upgrade to the medium, and I found that pretty nice. The large is a little bit too big unless you have a very large desk. So I say go for the medium into a Wacom tablet. Yeah, I agree. I, I've never used anything but a Wacom. 
And uh, yeah, Medium Intuos is exactly what I would go for. If you fall in love with the Medium Intuos, you can dabble with the Cintiq. But the Cintiq, um, it's, it's its own beast. You know what I mean? You're not going to mm-hmm. use it in the same way that you use the Intuos. So I would say roll with the Intuos. You're, you're talking about a $400 investment, basically. Um, the one thing that I will say about a tablet, is, you know, to, to avoid just reiterating everything Howard just said, is get a tablet if you do any kind of retouching. It will change the way you work with Photoshop. It will change the way you work with your images. It will change the style in which you retouch and work with photos. Um, It is really an amazing tool. Um, Yeah, tablets aren't necessarily only for digital artists who draw masterpieces and cartoon characters. A lot of people buy tablets specifically for photo retouching, and it. I don't do a lot of it. I know, you, Nathaniel, you do, you do a lot more than I do, but the little photo retouching that I do, do I just grab I grab my Intuos or I grab my Cintiq, and I just go to town because it it's just so much nicer. Yeah, so welcome, medium-sized Intuos. All right, so the last question... Um, and really, I, I, I got this question on Facebook. Uh, Krithik, I believe is the name, from Facebook says, uh, can you talk about current trends in the internet, e-commerce, mobile apps, etc.? It would be cool to hear things from your perspective. Um, so, I mean, current trends in the internet, that's a really, really broad thing. In fact, uh, so broad that I didn't really even do any research on it. I just figured I'd just spit like Howard was doing with the Wacom tablets, spit the knowledge that I have uh, right off the top of my head because I can spit some games sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so current trends in the internet, I mean, design-wise, current trends in the internet, um, uh, everybody's going to responsive design first and foremost. Responsive design mm. is a big, big, big thing right now. It's And, and you, one of the things you mentioned is mobile apps and even e-commerce. I mean, it all really ties together. Uh, anything... Anything that is made well on a mobile device, uh, users will do anything on a mobile website that they would have done on their desktop as long as the mobile site is designed well. Um, So as far as mobile apps, I'm just going to lump that into mobile web design. I'm not really going to talk about app design or uh, UI design right now. That's its own animal. Um, So responsive design is huge. Over the past two and a half, three years, it has absolutely exploded. um, And you can't ignore it as a web designer at all. So responsive design, and if you're not clear, responsive design is basically a website that looks one way on a desktop, but then it detects whether or not, hey, this person, they're on a... uh, they're on a mobile device or a tablet and changes the website to sort of fit the device that the user is viewing the website on. So it responds to the device the user is using to access your website and displays the appropriate website or the appropriate designed website. Uh, so that would be the first huge trend. Um, some of the other trends that I've noticed, uh, just generally speaking on the internet, are short form, easy to share information. People are losing a uh, an attention span. See, I mean, there I almost I almost trailed off in my thought right there, right? <laughs> people people don't have very long attention span, and I'm saying this here coming you know down to the end of an hour long podcast. But people don't. No one's going to be listening. Pe- by right? People don't have a very long attention mm-hmm. span. So very short form, shareable information. A lot of images. Uh, that's definitely a trend. You can never go wrong with a meme from a internet marketing and sharing perspective. People love all that stuff. They eat it up. 
Um, what other trends the internet? I know one of the things when we were redesigning the Tutvid site about a year ago, uh, we were looking around and two of the big things that I wanted to incorporate into the design side of uh, the Tutvid site, and actually we're working on sort of a secondary design now, I'm um, just sort of cleaning up the initial design, was we wanted a lot of rounded corner images and we wanted a fixed navigation bar to the left. So sort of this mounted fixed navigation bar off to the left. And there weren't very many sites that were doing it, but I was looking and, and the stuff that I was seeing, I was fairly certain that, you know, design-wise things were going to move and those were going to be two uh, big elements that we were going to see a lot of, a lot of rounded corner images, almost circular images um, and fixed navigation bars off to the left of the screen. And in fact, I think uh, Smashing Magazine is a website that now has a navigation bar fixed on the left side of the screen, uh, much like Tutvid does. Uh, so it wasn't mm. something I invented. But yeah, so I mean, those are those are just some current trends. I mean, I hope that kind of answers the question. Um, I mean, there's so many different trends and so many different things going on. I mean, just as far as the, the way people share jokes, the way people share images, the way social media is used. Um, I mean, Snapchat, is that a trend? Is that a thing that's here to stay? Is Instagram something here to stay? Or is Instagram a trend? Um, sharing images, sharing shareable content. That's I would consider that a big trend in the internet right now. Short form shareable content is huge. Get people to engage and get people to share what you're talking about. Um, at risk of of going on and on about this, uh, I proposed to the girl who is now my fiance back in November 2014 and put the video up it's like four and a half minutes long and it was that kind of content is stuff people love to watch and love to share and it, you know i just threw the video up on my personal facebook page and said hey look at this i got engaged and the video got shared 200 and some odd times it got viewed almost 40,000 times um and it just went kind of crazy it was easy to share it was something people wanted to watch it was shareable information that was easy for people to share and it kind of took off. So that kind of stuff, uh, I, I, in my mind, is trendy. You look at all these websites that do these list articles and, and list videos like BuzzFeed or uh, there's a website called Thrillist or Thriller or something like that uh, th that does these kind of articles, Elite Daily, Deadspin, places like that where it's these short, shareable articles uh, provoke people, make people respond, stuff like that. If we want to talk about web trends, that's stuff that I see uh, trending on the web. Howard, back to you. Yeah, I'm going to pretty much just go off of what you had. Responsive design obviously is huge these days, not just because your website should look good on desktop and on mobile, but you know, videos, for example, are being viewed almost 50% on mobile devices. And you bet they're also looking at websites on mobile devices. You got to do something when you're sitting on the john, right? So That's if true. your website does not look good on a mobile device, people are going to very quickly leave your website, which is it, it, it's negative for in a lot of reasons because it's a, the bounce rate is high, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I hate to do this, but Squarespace.com, um, all of their templates are mobile responsive. That's all I'm going to say about that. Use the coupon code WeGeeks. Um, yeah, and actually, also, just to interrupt you for a quick, quick second, yeah. I was just doing a uh, an audit overview of a potential client's website and looking at what they were doing in Google AdWords and how that was kind of being managed. And they were spending way more money than they should have been spending um, 
on a bunch of misplaced keywords. But one of the things that I did notice about their site was they were having about 17,000 people a week visit, you know, through these ads or 17,000 people a month, I'm sorry, visit through these ads on mobile devices compared with, I think it was like 55 or 5,700 on a desktop and then like, you know, 1,200 on, on tablet type devices. So yeah, responsive design, people using their phone for the web. Uh, yeah, totally. And, I'm, and while I'm going to discuss the next topic, I'm actually in my analytics now to see if I can figure out how many people are viewing my site on mobile. My site's a little bit different because it's more of like tech uh, d training based, so people want to be on the computer while they view it. But mm -hmm. um, there's a huge amount of people that are viewing sites on mobile now. But when you mention short form content, it's crazy that just to look at my content, for example, I'm now releasing one minute Photoshop tutorials, whereas five years from now, I would have never in my wildest dreams thought that that would be the case. Many years ago, I sound so old, my most po popular content was like 10 minute long in-depth Photoshop tutorials. And nowadays people watch a few minutes of that and they're like, oh, this is boring. So I've, I've switched over to a much shorter form content and those tutorials have been some of my most popular tutorials in the last year or two, which is absolutely nuts to think about. You know, we're in the, an era where Vine six second videos are at the max of people's attention spans, which it's, it's kind of sad because I love writing. I love releasing long blog posts. Some of them are rants, but you know, I love, I love releasing this long form content, but people are just not reading it and not watching this stuff. Yeah, it's it's definitely a sad, sad thing. But yeah, so Krithik, Krithik, if that is in fact how you pronounce your name, uh, I hope that answered the question for you. I hope that gave you some insight as far as at least the way that we, you know, look at uh, this web stuff and uh, some of what we see trend-wise happening uh, on the web. Yeah, and, and what's kind of sad, the last point I'll make is a lot of these current trends are just going straight over my head like snapchat i have no idea what's going on with that and you mentioned in your your question critique i think that's how do you pronounce it um when you say e-commerce something like bitcoin that's been around for a while that's still kind of a trend it's a very strange trend i don't understand it i think it's kind of like stocks but for virtual currency i it's just i i don't even i don't even want to try to understand some of these current trends because I would just get lost. Yeah, well, and, and it's I, I got to get on and watch the next Vine video, so I don't have time to sit around and learn about them either. Yeah, I really got to get that six seconds. Get on that. So that will just about do it for We Geeks episode number two. We made it this far, which is an accomplishment. Yeah. We made it, I think, farther than our first Hardly Relevant podcast. So we're on a good track, and next week there will definitely be another We Geeks podcast. We still have Obviously, there's always going to be geeky trends and design trends. And make sure to submit your questions on Twitter, Facebook. If you use Google+, if that's still a thing, submit it there. Anything else to add, Nathaniel? No, I think that's pretty much it. Hopefully, next week we'll be talking about this net neutrality ruling and whatever oh, happens yes. with regard to that. And whatever else is happening in the world of photo design, geeky stuff. Mm -hmm. And as of this moment, there are zero Patreon or patrons on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash WeGeeks. If you want to help support us and keep this thing going, 
head over there, give us a dollar or so, whatever you can afford, cup of coffee, pizza, I don't know. That's all I got. All right. That's that's all I got, too. So we will see you next time, guys. Thanks for, uh, if you made it this far, thank you. <laughs>